Well, welcome to episode 13 of the Bluff Valve Podcast, the podcast for automotive and motorsports news. We're your hosts, Alex and Tucker. This week, we've got kind of an, uh, a good kind of breadth of, of topics, I think, to discuss. And the first one that kind of piqued my interest was an article that initially I saw on Jalopnik, but uh, kind of hit a few other websites as well. And it regards Nissan's long-term loans. So Nissan sent a letter to its U.S. dealers that they can make a 1% dealer fee on whatever the total amount financed by the, the buyer was. Currently, dealers make a flat $150 fee when a customer finances a car through the Nissan Nissan's financing arm, basically. Hmm. Um, but for an 84-month loan, their new system uh, would add up to about $450 to the dealer. So really in, heavily incentivizes the dealer to try and get customers to take up these very long-term loans. And that's kind of been a growing trend in the automotive industry lately. Um, Overall, the number of people in the U.S. who financed a car for 84 months grew by 13% since February 2020. And the percentage of loans with terms longer than 73 months grew 30% since March 2020. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, it was like you maybe had a three or four-year loan on a car. Uh, but these kind of longer term loans have become more and more popular. But the problem is that a lot of these loans are to kind of subprime candidates. So just like the subprime mortgage issue, you know, Nissan's lending to people that maybe don't have good credit or, or don't, you know, can't, they're doing an 84 month loan to decrease the monthly payment. Like you talk to most dealers and they'll tell you, most customers, all they care about is what's the monthly payment. Because if right. I can hit that, then I'm good. I don't care if it's for 10 years. I don't care if it's for five. What's the monthly payment? And so I kind of want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. One, like the idea of subprime lending in the automotive industry, like these crazy long-term loan rates. And then also Nissan specifically has already built up a poor reputation in the US at least for... Yeah being kind of a low rent brand, like they used to be a, a pretty well-respected Japanese, you know, manufacturer. And now they're kind of like, well, you know, Altima's and stuff. Like I, I tend to try and give them a lot of room on the road when I see someone in like a base model <laughs> Altima, yeah. you know, just cause I, it's like, you know, those are the ones that are doing, you know, the guy in the new rogue is kind of driving erratically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, that's because that guy can't buy a Pontiac anymore. Right. That's true. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> there has to be a, a lowest tree, a lowest limb on the tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's it's not good. I mean, this weekend I I was doing some work out in the yard, must classic rock, which mm-hmm. generally kind of fuels the yard projects around here but <laughs> i was listening to one of the commercials and it was about um one of the dealers around here that is you know sells kind of suspect cars and sure. uh, oh my yeah. god the loan rates on those like they were talking about you know we can get you really good rates between like 12 and 17 percent oh it's insane it's like, yeah oh my god goodness that's yeah (laughs) yeah i mean imagine a 12 percent interest rate on an 84 month loan yeah i mean that would have made sense uh you know talking to our parents back in the you know 80s when or 70s when inflation was just bonkers but now Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense and it's it is you know predatory lending i mean these are folks you 
in America, you need a car, right? I mean, you need right. a car to like literally function because we yeah, most no... most cities don't have a, a good enough public transportation, reliable transportation, yeah. you know. And we're and we're covering pretty big distances in this country, so right. It's uh, it's it is to some extent a necessary and uh, a necessity. And the other thing that I come back to with this whole thing is that cars are getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, and people want the features. They want the safety features. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just looked up in 2020, it said at the end of the fourth quarter, a new vehicle in the U.S. was, you know, $40,000. Right. Um, on average. And so. Which is more like more than the median income that's in the what U.S. I mean, yeah. And so something's got to give to make that work for the vast majority of people. And I guess car manufacturers have realized that people want these cars they're they're willing to spend beyond their their means to to have them mm-hmm. and i guess at the end of the day for a lot of people in this day and age um it all comes down to the monthly budget and that's true you know that's what's 100% coming right. in and <clears throat> what's going out and if we can make it work at that price point everything else is you know just details but Right. Obviously, if you were to ask that person, you know, seven years from now, hey, do you want, here's an extra three grand that you could have on your table and not paid in interest charges, they'd say, oh, hell yeah, give me the three grand. But right. uh, it, it's, uh, it doesn't feel like that when you, that your upfront choice is, well, then you're going to need to buy this shit box over here for. Right. 20 grand less. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's, I think you really hit on what it was for me. Like a lot of the discussion I saw around this was like, oh man, these financially illiterate people are getting taken advantage of. And, and that is happening just like it happened with the subprime mortgages, like people signing stuff that they don't really understand what they're signing on to. But I think the bigger issue is what she said. Like it's the monthly budget. Like if it's a stretch for you, mm-hmm. you know, if you're stretching to get a, a car, but you have to have a car, then yeah. if someone says, well, you can get, if you want this new Nissan Altima, it's going to be 200 bucks a month for 84 months. And you say, well, okay, I can fit that in my budget. But they say, well, if it, if you, if you want it for 48 months, it's going to be whatever, 400 bucks. Then you're, yeah. you're like, Oh, you know, I can't afford 400 bucks a month, you know? Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're in a, if you're in a tough situation and you're, you know, working two jobs just to get by and whatnot, all you care about is reliable transportation. So do you want to yeah. buy a 10 year old <clears throat> car because that fits in your budget? Or do you want to buy a new car that you're going to have a warranty on and all that, that you can that's make a really fit good in your point. budget? You yeah. Know? And that's a really good point. I was just going to mention that for a lot of people, I mean, that's the other issue issues, right? You can buy a cheap, used car but if it's an audi a6 from 2000 uh every yeah. time that thing breaks down <laughs> it's a fraction you're, of that screwed. price yeah. to pay. and so even though you've bought a used car and you presumably did everything right if the brakes or the you know struts go out and you're mm-hmm. looking at a three to five thousand dollar repair bill that's right. not practical for, for right. some of these folks. And so no. maybe they would say, you know what, hell, I'll pay the three grand in finance charges over 84 months. 
this car is going to probably last that long and it's got a new car warranty through five years, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that's important to people that, that sense of reassurance, like, okay, like if something goes wrong in this car, I'm not on the hook for it for at least five years. And I've bought myself five years of peace of mind, you know, it it kind of, it kind of reminded me there's a, a Terry Pratchett quote that I'll kind of paraphrase from one of his stories, but it, it was the, the, uh, the the leather like the leather boot theory of economics but he mm-hmm. basically said you know a poor man can buy a $20 pair of boots that'll last him a year a rich man can buy a $100 pair of boots that'll last him 10 years so the the rich man will actually spend less money over time cuz he doesn't have to replace his boots every year you yeah. know and and that's kind of <clears throat> what's going on here is like because you can't afford the initial investment you you end up getting screwed. Like if you could go out and pay thirty grand and get a base Ultima, then you know you're set. But if you're if you don't have that capital and you have to go out and finance for eighty four months a base Ultima, now your thirty thousand dollar car by the time you're done paying it off costs you forty two grand. You know, like yeah. that. That's like objectively financially a terrible deal, but from a practical standpoint if that car got you to work every day and kept you, you know, able to put food on your table for your family for five years because you had a warranty covering everything. And like, I get how you would want to do that, you know? So it's a really tough position that I think a lot of people are in and, you know, Nissan I think is preying on that a little bit. Um, I do think it further denigrates Nissan's reputation at, at one point in time, I think they were not too far behind Honda or Toyota in terms of like perceived quality and everything. And now you look at Nissan's lineup and they really haven't redone any cars in a long time. You know, the, the GTR is essentially unchanged from when it was released. And yeah. I, I think their reputation of just trying to be a volume seller to, you know, whoever they can get to buy one of their cars is really kind of hurt their their reputation in the u.s and this is just kind of further playing into that i think you know and one of the other things it really points out is for automakers that are i guess within that nissan bracket to really push for making money through finance charging you know yeah Uh, i mean it's a huge part of the automotive industry someone said i forget who said this but they basically said that at with with the way the auto market is today, Ford is essentially a bank with an automotive company attached to it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and it's like we just talked about. Cars are really expensive, but mm-hmm. people want the features. Um, I guess it's just because it's like, I don't even know that we need all these features. Like, you know, 3D surround view. It's like, wow, that's, it's kind of cool, but yeah <laughs> it's not it's yeah not like it, critically essential you know yeah. to navigate the world I, uh, but you know when your buddy's got it, it's like I don't know. <laughs> yeah well i think part of the thing too is like at least you know when you look at some of the option packages a lot of times how they bundle stuff is very smart yeah. so like there'll be something that you want like adaptive cruise control bundled yeah, in a tech true. package with five other things you could give a shit about 
but like <laughs> that jacks up the price by another four or five grand, you know? Yeah. And, and if you, and if you wanted to buy the cruise control only, well, that's going to be two grand extra above, you right. know, cause they, right. they incentivize the package, but really what they're doing is they're you know, they're just saying like, this is what we want to make on each of these packages because they'll go right. for it. And if, and if somebody wants to be cute and try to go outside of that, well, we'll, we'll slap. We're going to get them. <laughs> yeah. We're going to yeah. get them one way or the other. You're right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the issues that the reason 84 month loans and 72 month loans and stuff exist is because of just how freaking expensive cars have gotten, you know, like when, when Honda Civics and Honda Accords are costing, you know, 30 grand plus, you know, it's it, relative yeah. to the yeah. increase in the average wage in this country over the last 20 years. Like oh. it's far outstripping that. Far and so, and so the only way you're going to get into a new, I mean, that's one reason why the used car market's so hot, but also sure. if, if you really want to buy a new car, you want the warranty, you want all that sort of stuff then, you know, for most people, or at least a lot of people, like long-term financing is the only way you're getting your new $50,000 Ford F-150, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it seems ludicrous, but I mean, that's like pickup trucks and things like that, which are, you know, trucks are some of the best-selling cars in this country. Like those are forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a pop. You see a, a new Ford F-150 driving down the road, if it's not a fleet vehicle, if it's like an optioned F one fifty, like that's a forty thousand dollar car. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I I have to always fall back on on and mentally just saying, you know, to each their own. I mean, you know, there's people who have you know companies who haul stuff, mm-hmm. you know, recycling trailers, whatever for a living, and then there's people who you know crochet on their YouTube channels and they have. <laughs> super max <laughs> right, right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does oh, not make any sense to me but Gro- growing up in oklahoma there. it was like it was a call cult- is a cultural thing like there were For people sure. that there were like lawyers in town who in you know in tulsa oklahoma like they didn't go you know the only time they went off road was to like drop their kids off at soccer practice <laughs> and yet they would yeah. have like a ford f-250 like diesel and you're like why <laughs> what do you a long bed gigantic truck yeah it was hilarious man anyways yeah i i think it's an interesting topic i th- i've been reading articles for a long time about how subprime lending in the automotive world is going to be kind of the next big bubble i could understand if if we're getting to the point where people are financing cars well beyond you know when their warranties up and and yeah. getting you know, by the time they're done paying off the car, the car's worth a third of what, you know, it costs. Them. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, that's the brutal aspect about cars is the depreciation. And so, yeah. you know, it definitely does make sense that there's a sweet spot where, you know, if you can get it two years used and, and, you know, throw in a, you've still got the new year, the new car warranty to work with for maybe a couple, yeah. three years, and then you add in a, extended warranty you know maybe you can make it work and mm-hmm. you know hit a sweet spot but it it takes uh it takes some savvy to pull that off quite frankly and yeah. if anything it takes uh being flexible in terms of like you don't want brand loyalty you don't want to go in 
like a specific car because they'll know that when you walk in, you, you've got to, yeah, you've got to be stuck. like, I want a midsize sedan. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You can't, you can't look like you're too excited about the thing, but I mean, that, yeah. that is a big part of it though, is with the, with the subprime mortgage stuff, the issue there was people were not going to make their payments, you know, particularly like the right. payments at the end. But if somehow they did, they had like an asset that is probably going to appreciate over time. Housing market generally trends up. Car, the, you know, cars don't. There's only one car in the last 50 years has beat the S&P 500, and that is the Ferrari 250 GTO. I mean, well, you haven't purchased a, a Tesla yet, my friend. Those are supposed <laughs> to go through the roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but so I mean, every one of these people is going to be underwater in their in their car by the time they're done paying it off, and and that's where I think they're going to have real issues. But like we said, some people, you know, are just in a bad position; like they've got to make it work. Moving on to kind of a more up my alley and up your alley topic, I think. Uh, so Porsche. Uh, kind of talked more about some of the high-speed testing they're doing for the new 992 GT3. And during the development process, the car was driven at a sustained 186 miles per hour for about 3,100 miles around the Nardo ring. Um, The only stops they made were for uh, refueling. So the engine also racked up more than 22,000 hours on Porsche's test rig. Uh, where it was put through basically repeated simulated runs of many major racetracks. So, you know, it was doing simulated runs of Laguna Seca with acceleration, deceleration, all that sort of stuff. And it just kind of made me think, like reading this, like how hard (laughs) they beat on this engine. Why do so many people that buy these cars just treat them with like white glove service? And so why do they treat them so delicately? No, you're totally right. I mean, you know. I remember when when uh, you were shopping around trying to pick your car. I just remember mm-hmm. this story you related. I don't even remember what <clears throat> manufacturer it was, but you were basically like, "Look, it. We got to walk around the back and we got to look at these tailpipes to see what they look like." And what oh, it's the McLaren. Yeah, yeah. Because if they're a certain color, it just means they've just wailed on it. Yeah. So the it. the six seven five LT. The it's a titanium exhaust. So you know that they, you know that they beat, <laughs> not beat on the car, but like actually used it aggressively. Um, yeah. If the tailpipes turn colors, because that means that they got up to temperature, um, <clears throat> which a lot of those cars don't, you know. Interesting. And so that's kind of like for you as the next guy buying this car, you're like, I don't, I don't want that. I mean, I want yeah. to change the color of the tailpipes. I don't <laughs> want somebody else to have it for me. It's, you it's know. A- I think it's the balance with with cars like this because, like, yeah, you want to make sure that the engine was broken in properly. You don't want to you don't want to have someone that was just beating the shit yeah. out of it. Yeah, from day one. Yeah. But I, when I was looking for a car, I wanted it to have been driven. So, like, I didn't want. I wasn't looking at McLarens that had two hundred miles on them. I was looking at ones that had like two thousand miles on them. Because these cars do better when they're driven. These engines, yeah. it, it's like a thoroughbred. They don't want to sit in the stable all day. Like they yeah. don't do well when they sit in the stable. They have to get out and run. And uh, like with the with my RS, the, when I was talking to the dealer, they said, yeah, there's some, the only issues is there's some scuffs on the underside of the car because uh, the owner did like take it to the racetrack a couple of times. I was like, fine. These yeah. cars are meant to take into the racetrack. I expect them to be. 
know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you kind of hit, you know, hit the nail on the head. You're, you're looking for someone who's, you know, used it, I guess, enthusiastically, right. You know, as, as an enthusiast, Mm -hmm. but you don't want, you don't want the guy that's owned it, you know, for a month and put on 2000 miles and, Mm-hmm. you know, launched it from day right. one off the <laughs> dealer right. lot. Yeah. So, like, uh, if, if I look at one of these cars and it has some miles on it, but it looks really nice, it looks like it was well taken care of and there's detailed maintenance records. That to me is just someone that used the car appropriately. Yeah. And I'm totally yeah. fine with that. There's an interview. They're talking with this guy that had a, had a uh, F50 and he said that when he would take it to the dealer, he said, you know, I didn't get to drive it as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so like when it would have some issues, a lot of times I would take it to the dealer and they would do what, what they kind of referred to as an Italian tune-up. And that basically meant taking it to the nearest highway and just running it as fast as they can and beating on it. Because they said that, that Half you know, the time it's- using the engine, you're, you're <laughs> lubricating everything. You're getting the seals lubricated, like all these things that if the car doesn't get used, just kind of dry up, crack. Now the seals are leaking and, you know, people think that like just sitting them on a battery tender for their life is like, oh, I'm taking good care of it. It's like, no, you're letting it rot. Yeah, essentially. It's true. Honestly, you know, when you think about the combustion engine, it is a little bit more of an organic entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that needs to be exercised it's just yeah. the way they're designed yeah i mean i think the they sit there for all the time you know it's uh not great and it and, yeah. it, and it and it's not obviously i mean the gas spoils uh oil mm-hmm. settles uh it's just yeah it's just it's, not. <laughs> it's got it's got to be you know it's it's like it's like a heart i mean the engine's like the heart of the car right so you know, if all you do is sit around all day and do nothing, your yeah. cardiovascular system is crap, right? And it, and like your longevity is worse for it. And I think it's the same for cars. Like if you go and use these cars, how they're meant to be driven, you know, and you're not abusive to them, you let them cool down, you let them warm up. Like when I go out for drives, the first 10 miles or so, I'm granny shifting and everything because the the engine's not warm yet. The oil's not warm. Yeah. If you treat it with respect, like I think this thing, as this, you know, as the story showed, like these things get tested to hell when when they're being developed. So you know, use them how they're meant to be made. One thing I was going to mention is I I saw this story. It's just something I saw on one of the forums. Not to hijack the topic, but I just yeah, no. deserved a just a brief detour. Somebody sure. um, <clears throat> on one of the Tycon forums put this exact news story up and, and just kind of drew attention to it as a juxtaposition because his, his Tycon was in getting this big ass software update yeah. and it, and it had bricked the computer in, <laughs> oh, in, no. the, in the car. And it's, I, I think this has happened, you know, with a, a handful of cars. I don't think it's super common, Mm-hmm. But, but he was like, isn't this interesting? Yeah. <laughs> and I think the point is, the point he was making is, you know, this is what you fundamentally expect from Porsche and, and really any of these quality precision manufacturers. Yeah. And that is, and, and there is a heritage of that 
mechanical engineering that's existed and has been in place for a really, really long time. Right. And um, nobody's going to argue with them on that. But as these manufacturers, you know, do begin to transition into electrics or hybrids and these systems become more sophisticated and they, and they rely on components to be efficient mm-hmm. and they update these things, I think we're going to have the same expectation. Yeah. Um, well, it's something you've, it, you've touched on before with like the difference between Tesla and the traditional manufacturers of like the software side of this equation is becoming so much more important. It is unfortunately. And it, and it, and it is in a sense unfortunate because you can have the most amazing mechanical machine on the planet, mm-hmm. but if you brick part of it or the software that you update, which we just kind of expect now, like look at our phones. We just expect, we expect it, it to just work. It's yeah. just going to work and you're mm-hmm. not going to break it. And when you and, consistently, and I, when you consistently break it, <laughs> for yeah. like a month period, it really right. starts to piss people off. And well, and then, and, it, and I know, can, yeah. I can speak for myself from the tech standpoint. Like if I have something that is just supposed to do one thing and it doesn't do that one thing, like my phone doesn't oh my actually God. work. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah. I don't I know why you. it makes me so mad. <laughs> it just makes me now. so mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so like, you know, right now it's, it is like the, the 992 GT3 exists as to, it's still very digital. I know, but it's kind of a little bit analog still. And so right. it's got some breathing room, but because I, ultimately, I worry a little. If the GT3's GPS stops working, it's like, eh. But like, if yeah. if the ECU is not working correctly in the Taycan, that's everything. That's you know, everything. Like that's... <laughs> it's not so good. Not so good. So I just, I hope that a lot of these things are growing pains for a lot of these manufacturers. I know that, you know, we all have our brands that we enjoy and uh, we would like them to be around. We'd like them to be successful. We would, I want to see, you know, Porsche continue to make GT threes well into the future. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they're going to have to acknowledge at some point that running it around on the track, it's awesome. It makes for great publicity, but you should maybe do an article in parallel with that, with your, especially with your next electric vehicle Hey, we've run this code for 24, you know, days in a row. Yeah, no right. issues. No <laughs> sure issues. We've updated yeah. this, cycled this ten times, and it's worked wonderfully. I, th- <laughs> I think the I think the problem is that for most car people, for yeah, tech people, easy, they right? would they would get like physically aroused by that article. But for <laughs> it's for true. like car for car people, reading about a GT3 absolutely flying around the Nardo ring is like, oh, that's cool. I, and I'm a massive car person, obviously. I wouldn't want to read the article about the software. I could give a shit. And that's fair. I'll, I'll you know, tell you know, that's what, the problem. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to make a quick analogy to something else that exists in my life that hits on this a little bit. So, yeah. uh, as you know, I've got uh, a set of DVLA speakers, mm-hmm. which are spectacular. The hardware is wonderfully Amazing. engineered. It's a nice price point for not having to spend like a quarter million dollars on a hi-fi system right? Um, that sounds really good. So think of them as the same way as like hardware. You're an audiophile. You don't give a shit about reading about software. You don't care mm-hmm. about that. You just want to listen to music. 
Right. What if I told you <clears throat> that about once to two times a year, every time they update these, they break them <laughs> for yeah. about a month. Yeah. Uh, it takes them about a month to fix the update. And they, they eventually do, but it's infuriating. And so right. you do start to care about the software because you know what its implications are. So even though yeah. you're, even though I'm an audiophile, I read a lot about what they're doing to their software on forums and keeping up to date and deciding like, oh, hell, I'm going to wait a couple months for I update them to this one. This looks right. like a bad one. <laughs> yeah. You know, That's, and so even as an automotive enthusiast, if these guys don't do it right, it's going to yeah. be much more in your face than you would like it to be, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It, it's It's my own like... Luddite look at it like I, you know, I don't want to have to be interested in the real wonky stuff. I just want to get want to enjoy the. You're right. We really shouldn't have to be. Yeah, but you, but you are right. I mean, as more and more stuff, you know, I talked about the engine being the heart of the car. ECU's the brain. So if that's if the if the software is making the brain have a seizure, obviously, like I can't enjoy the car if. Yeah, you know, if that's the case. So, and that's uh, you know, and that's where I think in the future these companies need to recognize that, that bringing that software and, and internalizing it and bringing the same excellence that they would with any other mechanical component, gearing, whatever, transmissions, mm-hmm. they need to take that same fundamental pride and approach to that software. I, I think it, you're totally it, right. Yeah. You know, if if you're putting if you're putting this beautiful car out there, and then you're putting in this junk software that makes it so it can't run, you've defeated yeah. the whole purpose. <laughs> Basically, is the problem. <laughs> and, and you know, for me and the Taycan, it's you know, it's early days. You know, I bought that uh, fully aware that I would be doing a little bit of beta testing, and it really yeah. has been fine. It's not been that big of a deal uh, so far. But yeah. I just I hope that they're making strides in, in yeah. the future as because otherwise a lot of people's, you know, whether it's a first exposure to a brand mm-hmm. or a first exposure to an EV, I think it's it could it could backfire and leave a very bitter taste in people's mouths. Right. I mean that's the problem is is you know, if you're Porsche, you look at it and like if people's Tycons every time the software updates have an issue then you start becoming known as an unreliable brand. And that's basically, yeah, that's, that's anathema yeah. to what any brand wants. Like unreliability is the death knell for, for a car company. Right. You know, Cause and it, they did this, fundamentally it needs to start up and get me to my job. They did the same thing with the Tycon at the Nardo ring, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I do, I remember, you know, whenever they did that, maybe it was a year, year and a half ago being very impressed with whatever numbers they're putting. It's like, oh yeah, those are very impressive numbers. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's really cool. Very good. Should be a great car. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you realize <laughs> after it's all about this. Yeah. Oh. So um, anyways. No, it's a it's a great point. Um so we're running out of time, but I did want to touch on just one other news item from the last couple of weeks. And and it's a uh because I think it's really important from like a grassroots enthusiast standpoint, and that's yeah. the 2022 Toyota GR86. So this is a replacement for the GT86 or the Subaru BRZ. The GR instead <laughs> of the GT, the GR stands for Gazoo Racing, which is Toyota's motorsports slash performance division. 
kind of like the M division for BMW. And really, from the look of it, it's kind of an evolution of the GT86's shape. Um, it's going to keep the same rear-wheel drive layout and naturally aspirated flat four. But the engine's uh, now going to make 232 horsepower and 184 pound-feet of torque compared to 205 horsepower and 156 pound-feet previously. What I love about this car is the manual transmission standard, although Agreed. an automatic is an option. The power boost is actually a big part of it. Uh, the main complaint about this car that a lot of people had was that it didn't have enough guts. Um, you know, it was light, it was fun to drive, but it just didn't have enough power. So, you know, bumping the horsepower and torque by 30 each mm. is actually going to probably feel like a lot in a car this light. And the reason this, to me, I think is really important is it's one of the few affordable sports cars for enthusiasts that still offers a manual option at a price that yeah. is doable for like a third car or maybe for a young person's, you know, a single guy, single gal's like first car. Because uh, yeah. really it's like, the WRX, the Miata were kind of the few I could think in that price bracket. Yeah. I think what's really from my perspective as well, <clears throat> what's really cool about this is the the manual transmission. And mm-hmm. I think that's primarily just from the standpoint of it's, you know, it's like we've talked before, you know, when you get up into horsepower numbers that you see today, you know, mm-hmm. five to, I guess, a thousand horsepower, Right. It's uh, it's all just kind of the same song and dance at that place. It's it all feels incrementally, really yeah. It's incrementally faster, but it's just bananas to begin with. Mm-hmm. So why the hell would you put an automatic in this if yeah. you're going to own this car? Treat it as a fun, unique driving experience, and right. put the manual in, and just enjoy that. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going to be you're not going to be beating everybody off the line in this thing. That's not the point. It's a sports right. car. It should be tuned with a nice suspension it should mm-hmm. be fun in corners and it should be engaging to drive and i think the manual is really what puts it over the top as a total package at yeah. kind of that entry level so i i agree i'm super happy to see that it that it stuck around and uh, it, it it continues yeah. in a number of de- uh, guises yeah no i know it's it along with the miata if you want a lightweight affordable manual sports car those are your options you know and credit to mazda for keeping the miata going you know uh, but i i love that toyota is doing this and they're standing by the their rear wheel drive manual transmission platform um they actually i think the car is similar in weight maybe even slightly lighter i forget exactly but i they're sticking by this ethos whereas a lot of people it's just heavier more power heavy more power and it's like no that's as you mentioned, that's not the point of this car. This is, yeah. you're, you know, you're, it's not going to be the fastest thing, but the experience of driving it is going to be unique. That should be kind of, um, appreciate anyone buying this car. Like, Hey, if you want the fastest car, go get a WRX or something like in this price bracket, you're going to be beating a lot of stuff off the line. Like this car is for someone that just enjoys a nice windy road, the occasional, track day or autocross or something like that and just yeah. having fun with it you know flicking it around a corner you know it's a well-balanced car um so i think as much as you and i both love drooling over supercars and hypercars and all that stuff like this to me is like the fundamental bare bones of of what we're enthusiastic about when it comes to sports cars you know like 
manual transmission, rear wheel drive, lightweight, like that is yeah. the formula, you know? I agree, um, man. I think you so, summed it up very nicely. <laughs> so hats off to Toyota. Thank you for keeping it going. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think that's about all we have time for this week. Is there anything else you want to add, buddy? No, it sounds good. All right. Well, thanks everybody so much for listening. Um, we uh, will be back next week uh, with another episode. Until then, uh, if you want to follow us on uh, social media, we have an Instagram, the Blow Off Owl Podcast. Um, we'll let you know when sh- new shows are going up. It's a good place to kind of uh, leave us you know, questions, comments, show topics that you'd be interested in hearing about. And until next week, uh, thank you so much. <laughs>